It's episode 25 of the PN2 Party Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Isaacson, as always. And on today's show, everything Marvel at SDCC. Is Grand Theft Auto 6 real? And of course, my final thoughts on the Destiny 2 beta, which finished not too long ago. But first, Doomfist is here. Doomfist is here. I'm excited for this for two reasons. A, it changes up the meta. B, it's actually something new to play. And we haven't really had any mention of the summer games in Overwatch this season. Whether that's going to happen or not, we don't know. But having Doomfist is a cool addition to the game. I've already sort of played around with him in the preview builds that they have, the preview setup on PC. But now he's live across all formats, and there have been some adjustments to some other characters as well. So there's a lot of excitement around how he will sort of change the way the game is played. And having seen the Overwatch esports competition over last weekend, congrats to Australia for making the BlizzCon, uh, BlizzCon finals, uh, by the way, that's it was it was awesome. If you haven't seen any of that footage, check it out. I think it's still on Twitch and YouTube. It was an awesome weekend. I had a lot of fun with it. But having seen the setups, a lot of the characters are quite similar in terms of how people set up their teams. There's always a soldier. There's always a diva. There's always a... Uh, who else am I thinking of? Not Reaper. Um, there's, there's a lot of characters that... Oh, Genji, I should say. There's a lot of characters that don't really get thrown into the mix. There's always that same sort of setup. So we're hoping, and I'm guessing Blizzard are hoping, that having Doomfist there changes the narrative of play. So you'll be able to break up a controlled point, possibly even easier thanks to some of his movesets. And then, of course, some of the changes will incorporate maybe new characters like... I don't know, maybe Zarya, just to try and mix things up a bit, try and get Doomfist in to certain areas, because he is still vulnerable. He's, he's not perfect in terms of his design, and that's deliberate, so he's not overpowered. He's very strong up close. He doesn't, doesn't really do much damage from a distance, so you do have to rush him in, which means he can die quite quickly if he's not protected properly or if he hasn't got the right team around him. And I'm going to be I'm going to be playing him a little bit, I think, I mean, I've, lately I've been going back to Soldier a lot more. I'm having more fun with him. But I'm, I'm still sort of playing around with all these other characters just to see, you know, depending on what's needed in the teams that I play with, that I'm able to fit in properly. I can add something to each team. So if Doomfist works out, if all these changes work out, it'd be interesting. The other thing that Kotaku pointed out the other day, having Doomfist now, having just finished another lot of the playoffs for BlizzCon, and now leading up to BlizzCon itself, all these other changes that are going to be adding to it, probably between then and BlizzCon in November, it's going to be interesting to see how other teams in esports-wise adapt to these changes as well. So I'll be, yeah, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. So yeah, if you haven't played Overwatch lately, check out Doomfist. Hopefully we'll get a new event coming up soon, maybe a new map coming up soon, to just sort of add to the fun. It's been a little quiet the last few months, so having a new character is good. But speaking of Overwatch, if you haven't heard, uh, Overwatch League is still in development, but there was some interesting news. I'm going to go through a lot of news pieces, so they're going to be a smaller, smaller bits today, but one of the bigger ones for me was the Overwatch League announcement of what's coming up in terms of the development of each team. So if you haven't heard of Overwatch League, this is essentially like the Premier League, you know, English Premier League football or the AFL. All these teams working around the world, fighting in a proper Overwatch tournament, organized by Blizzard particularly, with a lot of teams developed and organized by sports teams. So, for example, uh, the New England Patriots NFL team, they have an Overwatch team. New York Mets baseball will have an Overwatch team. Um, obviously, New York is going to be a big place and for that sort of stuff. All the big teams in the US will probably get involved and a few in Europe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think there was a, a, a football team in Europe that's trying to do that. In the Bundesliga, I think? I can't remember. But anyway, long story short, Blizzard have confirmed a few things that, a few stipulations that these teams have to follow. Actually interesting information. So the, the long and short of it, as I said, uh, players must have one-year contracts. 
a salary of at least 50,000 US, which is about 62,000 Australian based on current exchange rates, uh, health insurance, retirement saving plan, a housing during the season, and at least 50% of performance bonuses, which is based on how you well you do in playoffs and other league events and so on and so forth. No mention of any merchandising or merchandise rights within that. Uh, no mention of you know how much money that will be in total in terms of those bonuses. But that's a pretty nice kitty if you get into the Overwatch League team. Wow. I mean, that sets you up. You've got, you've got health insurance, retirement saving plan. I mean, that's a big thing. I don't think any other eSport has something like that. $50,000 salary doesn't sound like much, but that's more than I earn right now in terms of I I think about 44 45,000 a year working in retail if I get $50,000 just playing a video game I'd be pretty happy with that to be honest I'd be set I, I wouldn't be wouldn't be upset and of course all the living expenses and things will probably be paid for by the team for you so you're covered for that that that's I mean if you get into an Overwatch League team wow you know and that money will probably increase over time while you know, Overwatch continues to build. I mean, it's only been out for a year. Don't forget, it hasn't been out for all that long. Already you're talking about, you know, big money like this and you're competing against other big esports like, you know, League of Legends and so forth that have been going for a little while now that have even bigger prize money. Overwatch is just going to get bigger and bigger. Having Doomfist there as well is going to be uh, interesting sort of mixed into that. So, you know, lots of interesting things happening in the world of Overwatch this week. Um, I've been playing a lot of it the last few weeks, or here or there. A group, a group of my friends been playing it, and uh, you know I'm not bad. I'm not good, but I'm not bad, and I'm learning. Like I, I, I learned a lot of things watching the the esports tournament over the last weekend, and you know little bits and pieces that I wouldn't have even thought of in terms of tactics in certain maps. Um, I've actually started playing as Orissa a little bit more lately, and I do that little stupid thing where. Because Arisa has the shield, right? If you get to a point where you're trying to capture a point, uh, it, with Arisa, you can literally sit in the very corner of it while still holding the point with her shield around her, and it's very hard to get to you. And at one point, I did this. It sounds, I guess, like cheating, right? It, it does sound like cheating, but it's a tactic. You sit in that corner, you put the shield up. I had a team... I did this twice on two different maps, and it was great. I had the team that we beat... Uh, essentially was just targeting me the entire time because they knew if I was still there, you know, I was trying to essentially get their focus. And it worked because they were constantly trying to attack me, which was great because that meant that they were vulnerable to my other team's attacks because their focus was on me. And that's why we won twice in a row. It was great. Obviously, it doesn't work all the time. Not all the maps have the ability to just sit in a corner and, and capture the point and things like that. And obviously, in other modes, not as effective, but... Arissa, I mean, a lot of people when she came out were a bit disappointed with her abilities, but I'm I've come to like her. Her her opportunities, you know, vary in terms of the maps and the game modes, but I actually like her on off offense, not just defense. She's good as a defensive point. Like I said, you sit in a corner, put the shield up, and constantly put the shield up. It just slows the other team down a little bit, but on offense. She could be pretty powerful. Like, you can just constantly keep pushing forward by dropping the shield just a little bit further forward. You can have the team sitting behind you. If you have that with a Reinhardt right next to you as well, you got double shield, you know, the little things like that. And you can push the other team back while you're trying to drop the payload forward, you know, things like that. It, it just mixes things up. I would love an esports team to incorporate Orissa a little bit more. Um, I think she's an underrated character. I really do. Hopefully she'll get another buff or two in the future, maybe a little bit more to her character design. But uh, I'm 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 quite pleased with her right now. I think she's a good alternative to, to play as. What do you guys think? What do you main as in Overwatch? I'd love to know. Let's go on to something a little bit different. Uh, you may have heard, speaking of big franchises, the Pokemon Go disaster... Uh, in the US last week, there's a whole bunch of, of weird things going on with Pokemon Go lately. And it's disappointing because as someone who played Pokemon Go when it came out, someone who went to Kings Park here in Perth, like two, three times, maybe more, uh, late at night after work, capturing Pokemon, 
and annoying the people who looked after King's Park. You know, I, I knew how enjoyable the experience was going to be, but I don't know lately because they've added they, they've added new gyms, which are essentially like raids. They've added now legendary Pokemon who uh, can only be caught through those raids. So you do have to work as a team. I mean, it sounds great from a distance. It, it, it sounds entertaining to think that you could have like a almost like a World of Warcraft style raid at a real life location and just be playing away with your Pokemon um, with five or six other people. But the issue that Niantic has always had is the fact that it's so successful a game, they just can't keep up with the infrastructure. And the biggest issue with having a mobile game is the fact that you're based solely on the mobile carriers. Now, if those mobile carriers aren't good, you're going to have problems. Obviously, in the US, they had some problems. The servers didn't work as well as expected. The networks that people were on weren't strong enough to cope. And there was a lot of problems with it. There was a full refund for that event that they had with the, the announcement of the new legendaries and, and so on and so forth. Uh, if I were Niantic, I would go back to the drawing board at this point. I would look at the Pokemon game, look at Pokemon Go, and go, okay, let's just let it simmer for a little while longer. We've got the raids up, that's good. There's new legendaries, that's great. We've got the Wave 2 Pokemon in there in some way or form. So, we've, you know, people are still playing it, that's fine. Let's just work on the back end now. Let's just just really work on that back end Make it as strong as possible because we really do not want this to happen again. You've got to be thinking like that, surely. I mean, it is a successful game, even with the massive drop-off that happened after the first few months of launch. Even back then, the issues that they had with the servers. You know, it's it's a lot of it has to do with obviously keeping it entertaining and always adding more content. But you cannot forget how important that back-end is. And that's what happened over the last weekend, that event that they had in the US. It failed miserably, which is unfortunate. And it's disappointing, not necessarily because it failed, but because, you know, you want to be able to be involved in something like this. It's such a unique experience. And the fact that a lot of people missed out on it. Um, yeah, not cool. It's not cool. But hey, Nintendo, on the other hand, honestly not complaining. I mean, they didn't make it. Neantic, it's Neantic's baby, it's Pokemon Company's baby. So they're not too concerned. And why would they when their sales right now are off the freaking charts? Have you heard about this? They had an announcement during the week, this past week, uh, that Nintendo's sales are just going gangbusters. Uh, apparently, they're running on an operating profit of about 16.21 billion yen, which is 144 million US, 183 million Australian. That's from April to June, um, which is uh, roughly sort of a, a time period where what you were looking at, like a month after the launch of the Switch? About that, right? But give you in comparison, at the same time last year, Nintendo posted a 5.13 billion yen loss. That's a massive turnaround in less than a year essentially or just on a year right that's huge here's where it gets more interesting so uh, worldwide sales to date of the switch itself is sitting at 4.7 million units the games for the switch 13.6 million units now when the switch was first confirmed for launch in march a lot of uh, let's say you know experts was suggesting the Switch would sell about 5 million units in its first year. We're not even through six months of this console, 4.7 million units. I was reading about this a little bit more the other day. In comparison to the two other consoles, right, in the same time period, uh, the Switch is ahead of the Xbox One, but behind the PS4. The difference here is the demand for the Switch is huge even more so than the PS4 and Xbox One when they came out you know, three, four years ago. I think it's about three years ago now, isn't it? About that, right? So you take that 4.7 million and you go, okay, brilliant start. Obviously, they're having a massive problem in terms of trying to keep enough stock on shelves in certain regions, Japan and US specifically. In Australia, it's sort of trickling in and it's still selling relatively well. Um, I'm guessing in Europe, 
maybe about the same. But that demand in Japan, especially, is off the chain. It's massive right there still. This could go on for a while yet. You know, they're expecting that there will be a shortage down towards Christmas time, which is the reason why the SNES Mini exists in the first place, is to try and keep profits going, because they know it's going to be tough to get Switch consoles out there. They're trying to increase the amount of uh, units produced in the warehouses, but apparently the chipsets that they use are also the same chipsets used by Apple. So there's a struggle for uh, chips based on that. So, you know, when you're going up against Apple, that's a tricky one. But hey, you know, Nintendo are probably the strongest studio right now, the, the strongest producer right now outside of Sony, obviously. But Sony is sort of lacking a tiny bit maybe lately. I mean, the PS4 is still selling well. The Pro is still selling well. Crash Bandicoot is the number one game worldwide for the last month, roughly. It outbeat Splatoon in most markets, too, outside of Japan. Obviously, Japan it was terrible. It was crazy. Speaking of which, let's going back to the Switch sales. Uh, Mario Kart 8, since its release in April, has sold 3.54 million units worldwide. Uh, Arms has already sold over a million units since its release last month. Breath of the Wild uh, sold another, I think, 1.16 million units worldwide. Uh, I think its cumulative is about 3.92, so it's just ahead of Mario Kart. Altogether, though, you know, that's a lot of games hitting the 1 million mark. 1-2 Switch has also sold over a million units since launch. You know, when you think about it, you know, 1-2 Switch was a reasonable game, wouldn't have thought it would sell over a mil. But that just shows that there's demand for content for the Switch, and it's gradually adding more and more to that. But ARMS especially is a good result for them. You know, it's a brand new IP, it's an untested market in terms of that sort of beat-em-up experience. Yes, the Smash Brothers, but Smash Brothers is a different thing entirely, really, when you think about it. So getting over a million units for ARMS, fantastic result. In terms of Splatoon, it sold over 600,000 units in Japan alone in its first week. So nearly a million units within the space of probably about two weeks in Japan, I'd say. So Splatoon 2 is doing really well for itself as well. Uh, 3DS sales have dropped, uh, not surprisingly. Uh, obviously, the Wii U is non-existent now in terms of you know what they consider to be an important thing. But... This 3DS is still being supported to a degree. We've got three new games for the 3DS out this weekend. I don't know about worldwide, but definitely in Australia. Uh, hey Pikmin, which is getting so-so reviews. Metopia. I haven't heard much about reviews on that just yet, but it looked intriguing. It looked like the, the Street Pass mini-games on the 3DS were taken to the next level. Uh, there's also a new brain training game, Devilish Brain Training, which I think had been in released in Japan like three years ago now. I don't know why it's taken so long to bring it out here. But that's doing... That, that, that should do okay. You know, it should fill the gap, at least, for anyone who's still playing 3DS or hasn't got a Switch yet. So they're still supporting that little console. They will continue to do that for the rest of this year, at least. They'll have another Fire Emblem game on there, a support of Fire Emblem Warriors. There's a new Pokemon, obviously, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, or whatever it's called. And the rumors are Pokemon for Switch will be next year. Maybe not the year after as originally expected, but they might push it out till next year. And it makes sense that they do. But yeah, there's a lot of, of, to look forward to in terms of Switch content. I just bought uh, earlier this morning the new Namco Museum, which dropped on the eShop. Uh, a great little combination of Namco games. I've always been a huge fan of Pac-Man, so I'm more than happy to play that again. But Pac-Man Versus is also part of that package. If you missed that, uh, Pac-Man Versus was released, I think, on GameCube. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it was a four-player versus mode. It was one of the only real versus-style Pac-Man games based on the original design of Pac-Man, where three players have played a ghost, or four players have played a ghost, and you have to capture Pac-Man and become him to get points. The Switch version follows the same thing. I completely missed it when it first came out, although I was aware of it. I did have a GameCube. I didn't play too much on the GameCube, though. Pac-Man Versus is one thing I was interested in, and you can get that now in Namco Museum. If you have a friend say, hey, hello, 
that's me, who has Namco Museum, and you just want to play Pac-Man Versus, this is the cool thing. You can download Pac-Man Versus separately for free on the Nintendo eShop and play with anyone that owns Namco Museum already. So, for example, me, I can have three friends get Pac-Man Versus for free and play it with me because I have Namco Museum. I think that's a great touch. It's a nice little uh, bonus for Switch owners who are looking for another multiplayer experience to bring out their Switches outside of pretty much playing Mario Kart 8 and Splatoon 2 in arms repeatedly for the next 10 years, uh, which I'll be doing, no doubt. I'm I'm really enjoying Splatoon 2 still. I haven't played all that much of it, but I'm nearly at level 10, which means I'll be able to get the next set of ranked modes or whatever it is. Uh, I haven't played Salmon Run, really, I do want to play more of that, but uh, I'm getting my housemate involved in that, so hopefully we'll get some more games of that going soon. Anyway, enough of Nintendo for now, because I still have a lot more to talk about, as already mentioned at the start of this podcast. But there's one more thing I do want to talk about briefly before I get into my three main pieces of news. Uh, I don't know, I don't know how you guys feel about the concept of shared universes, but I'm starting to get annoyed by them. Uh, and there's two reasons why. So there was a piece of news that dropped earlier this week about John Wick. Great game. Uh, great, great game. Great movie. Great sequel. But there's suggestions that a John Wick spin-off will in turn create a shared movie universe. Uh, I don't know about you. I'm just getting sick and tired of studios catching on to this shared universe motive. I'm doing the whole air quotes thing right now shared movie universe i don't like this thing of having to have shared universes for freaking everything i mean we've got godzilla and king kong we've got the stupid horror dark universe at universal there's rumors that that mad max will have a shared universe with the the lead or the character that Charlize theron played in the recent mad max film um you know there's all these these all these films that are they're trying to spin off all these other characters and instead of just having hey here's a spin-off character it's a shared universe thing this is the big thing in, in hollywood right now and it's so easy to blame marvel for that because they're the ones that started it but at least with marvel they had a goal in mind and that's infinity war whereas all these other ones it just feels like it's a shared universe for the sake of having a shared universe you know it's just about profit it's just banking on a successful ip you know, at the end of this year, we're going to have Justice League. And speaking of Justice League, still major issues with that in terms of being reshot with Joss Whedon and having Henry Cavill's mustache in play, a whole Mission Impossible, trying to film that at the same time he has a mustache in that film. And they're trying to reshoot Justice League shots with the mustache still on. Apparently, that Universal didn't want him to, or Paramount didn't want him to shave it off. At least that's the suggestion. That's the rumor. <laughs> I think it's great. You know, having a Superman with a mustache, just leave it in there. Fuck it. He comes out of the, you know, he, you know, uh, spoilers, he dies at the end of uh, Batman versus Superman, right? If you haven't seen that, you're not missing much. But he dies at the end of that. Maybe he comes back to life and he's all, you know, disheveled and he has the mustache. Just leave it in there. I'm game for that. I don't mind that at all. But Justice League is going to be this sort of interesting counterpoint now because... You know, not only are you competing with Marvel, who, by the way, are adding a lot more color to their films of late, and that's probably because of Guardians of the Galaxy's success. You look at Thor, which I'm going to get to in, in a second, but Thor's Ragnarok film, uh, which still looks re- remarkably funny and, and really great, it has a lot of color going for it. Uh, Black Panther even has a lot of color going for it, which is surprising, because I thought that would have been a darker, grimier sort of film but supposedly it's sort of almost ripping on the james bond motive in some of its footage that was shown at sdcc and then you have obviously infinity war and even infinity war sounds incredibly colorful and spider-man homecoming was also quite colorful as well so they're going away from what happened in civil war which was sort of darkish um you know hero on hero and they're adding that sort of light uh, humor, which is sort of perpetrated, or it was part of the earlier films, like the first Captain America, the Iron Man films, obviously, the, the first Thor was sort of humorish to a point. They're sort of feeding it back in to their framework again, 
And Justice League is trying to do the same thing. And that's also because of the success of Wonder Woman. Still a great film. Apparently now the number one film of the year in terms of profit. Fantastic. Glad to hear it. And the success of that has sort of influenced the reshoots as well. They're trying to put more Wonder Woman in front and center. They're trying to add that sort of humor and so forth that's been so successful for Marvel, uh, even more so recently. Oh, yeah, I should have mentioned, if you're talking about color, freaking Doctor Strange. God, it's color everywhere in that film. But the, the interesting thing with Justice League, in terms of its reshoots, apparently they're trying to... Uh, sort of reshape some of the backstory and some of the interconnected interconnecting tissues between all the different characters in play. We also have seen, thanks, thanks again through SDCC, the villain who is going to be playing uh, be playing a major role in, in Justice League, which we haven't seen up until now. Uh, so yeah, it, it's there's a lot of parts to that that seem good. At least from an outset, but it could get messy really quickly if these reshoots don't work. You know, it's Joss Whedon. He's going to be, you know, he's going to do as much as much as he can. Apparently, he's not going to get a directing credit though, even though he's doing a decent amount of work. But he might get a producer or a co-writing credit, perhaps. I'm still mildly confident that it won't be a failure, largely because they would have learned from the the problems they've had in the past and from Wonder Woman's success. Uh, Wonder Woman 2 is in the works. That has been confirmed. The cast and crew are coming back for that from the first film. Uh, Suicide Squad apparently, you know, it is going to be a sequel, but they're going to do a spin-off with Joker and Harley Quinn, which is going to be Joker versus Harley Quinn. So I, I you know, maybe recast the Joker first, you know, just a suggestion. But that could be good. Who knows? But yeah, Justice League, I don't know about that one. I, I'm... I, I don't even know how I started talking about that, to be honest. But, oh yeah, shared movie universes. Hey, there you go. The the problem with Justice League is the fact that they're trying to cram in all these other characters very, very quickly to build that universe. You know, Aquaman, Flash. You've got Batman, you know, Ben Affleck's Batman. You've got all the Suicide Squad characters. Obviously, Wonder Woman now. Um, Cyborg. Rumor is Green Lantern will make an appearance. And then spin off for him, uh, Shazam. You know, all these great characters. Are, you know, they're fantastic characters. Don't don't get me wrong. And they've tried to do it before, and it didn't work. Green Lantern, for example, was terrible. Ryan Reynolds was great, but not the Green Lantern that I thought I would like to see on film. And obviously, they agreed. But yeah, it seems very rushed, and that's the same problem with a lot of these other universes. Universes in air quotes again. The Dark Universe is a perfect example of that. It almost felt like. They'd finished the film, it was months away from release, and they're like, hey, what if we did this instead? And they just rushed it out. Yeah, Xavier Bardem, yeah, Johnny Depp, you guys want to do a film? Yeah, sure. Hey, you're part of a universe now. Like, what? They faked the photo that they had, the, the, the group photo of them. Yeah, that just, I, I don't know. It feels like the, the whole shared universe thing is just everyone trying to jump on board with this concept of trying to create more money through the same characters. You know, don't be surprised if like they're doing another X-Men sequel, for example. Don't be surprised, though, if the X-Men take a breather for a bit and it's just focused solely on characters spin off, spun off from Deadpool and they build a new universe through the Deadpool. You know, he's the main big guy now of Fox because of the fact that Wolverine is pretty much gone now. He's, he's done. I don't think Hugh Jackman's going to come back as Wolverine anytime soon. I don't know, maybe he'll make another cameo in the next uh, X-Men, which I believe is called Dark Phoenix, because they're doing Phoenix again. I don't know, what do you guys think? Do, do, is something like a shared universe, is that something that you're interested in? Is that something you're just annoyed with now? Is that a term you just really don't want to be you know, thought up of for your favorite film? Like the, the Say, for example, if Blade Runner became a shared universe, or if Terminator became a shared universe, you know, is those sort of things just annoying to you? Because it is to me. I don't want shared universes for every goddamn IP. Make a sequel or a spin-off, sure, but you know, don't set it up so that it's just all-encompassing for all these different things, especially when it's like trying to push Godzilla and King Kong together, which may have worked a long, long time ago in Japan, but 
now? I don't know. Marvel's got it right. That's all that matters to me. You know, Infinity War is going to be a fantastic conclusion to that. And then they'll have a whole new set of characters led by Spidey, which I'm really proud of being a Spider-Man fan. I don't know. That, that's just me. I, I just don't think that... I don't think that shared universes or a shared universe for everything should be. There you go. But I spoke of SDCC. And the one thing I wanted to, to focus on, which is what I mentioned not too long ago, was Thor. Now, I don't know about you, I was not expecting Thor Ragnarok to be one of my most anticipated films of the year. But when that first trailer came out, the one a little while ago, that had Led Zeppelin in its theme, in its trailer, that blew me away. At SDCC, they have a brand new trailer that came out, and it added even more anticipation to it, because we saw a lot more of Hulk, we saw a lot more of the, the key story points, we saw a little bit more humor, a little bit more color, there's still a lot of it that's a, that's a mystery. We don't know how Doctor Strange is going to be involved. He's probably going to be at the beginning, by the looks of it. We don't know how Thor himself is going to evolve as a character, though it's hinted on in the trailer. I won't spoil it too much here, so definitely check it out if you're curious. But I will say this. The trailer does give away some important plot points. It does give away a few hints. And that seems to be a theme with Marvel trailers of late. It used to be that you would sort of fit your trailer around the first two acts and then leave whatever's in the third act behind. But if you've seen Spider-Man Homecoming and if you saw the trailers for that, you know for a fact they pretty much spoiled the entire film in the Spider-Man Homecoming trailers. Apart from the little things in between, you saw bits from the third act and it kind of did... I mean, for me, it was a great film. I didn't mind. But I saw the, the things coming. The only thing I didn't see coming was the big spin, or the, this big spoiler bit. You know, the, the big twist. Which wasn't really that much of a twist, but it was a nice play on, on the, the characters we used to know in this new film universe. But the trailer did give away a lot of the, the action sequences, the, the big sort of major turning points, I guess. And it feels like the new Thor trailer has done the same in terms of, you know, showing you what the main characters are going to get through. You know, Thor versus Hulk, obviously, is the, the big thing. The fact that Hulk is going to be involved in a big way. And if the rumors are true, Thor is going to be the interconnecting tissue between every other Earth-based Marvel character and the Guardians of the Galaxy for Infinity War. Which I think is the, the right way to go. It makes sense because by the time we see Thor in this film, he's pretty much going to be taken to a completely different part of the universe, or the galaxy, I should say. It's not a shared universe. He's going to be taken to a different galaxy. He's going to be involved in new areas of this, you know, unknown region of space. And that's exactly where the Guardians would exist. That's where they would be. So it made sense to have those two sort of bump heads and then have them brought back to Earth through Thor. So that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to Ragnarok. And, you know, the, the cool thing for me with Thor is the fact that he is a character that can evolve in many different directions. And then this film seems to be following at least one direction, and that's sort of adding more humor to him. You know, Taika Waititi is, is a director who, or writer-director who knows what it's like to be humorous. He's, you know, very good at that. And some of his previous work has been really entertaining and engaging and colorful and, and, yeah, just generally enjoyable. But the humor has never been sort of slapstick comedy or, you know, rude comedy is what the, the last 10, 15 years of comedy has been in most generic Hollywood films. It's very sort of on the nose. It's, it's silly, but, but in a good way. And Ragnarok seems to follow that as well it follows it through maybe not maybe to the letter but it's certainly in terms of comparing it to other marvel films it feels a lot funnier than even the iron man first iron man film uh, and, and just the dialogue between thor and hulk in this trailer again i won't spoil too much but yes there is a lot of dialogue that that sort of thrown between these two main characters and banner and it looks great and the, the dialogue 
I'm always a big fan of dialogue, so I'm keen to see how that goes, whether it's it stays a little bit more towards the Shakespeare side of things, as what the first film by Kenneth Branagh was trying to do, or will it be just a, a sort of simpler piece of dialogue and just let the action and the set pieces and the setting dictate it? You know, I'm very curious to see how all that plays out. But we won't have to wait too much longer, I guess. It's not too far away. Speaking of which, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 on Blu-ray next month, I believe. Uh, September or so. Keep an eye out for that. So yes, there, there was a lot of other Marvel stuff at SDCC. Uh, we still haven't got an official Infinity War trailer, but there was uh, a couple of scenes from the film, the f- from at least finished scenes from the film that were shown at the show. Uh, leaked footage if you did get to see it, has been out there. Uh, and I have seen some of that, just out of curiosity. Obviously, it's it's really bad, sort of awkwardly camera-angled mobile phones. But it looks good, even then. You know, having Thanos front and center, having all these characters come together, uh, having a lot of uh, major issues for them to deal with. Like I said last week, it, it seems like the kind of situation where you honestly cannot see them all surviving. You know, the likelihood is people will die. You know, Civil War should have had a death in it, but I guess the reason why they kept it away from that film was because they knew Infinity War was going to be the breaking point. This was going to change a lot more than Civil War could have. And I guess that was the problem with Civil War is the fact that you had this whole huge hype behind it. The comic book had so many deaths in it and so many life-changing issues and events for the comic series, but in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it just didn't feel like it had that same kind of impact because Infinity War was right around the corner. Maybe Civil War could have been earlier. Maybe that should have been the second Captain America film instead of the third, just to make a bit more of an impact. I don't know. It's one of those difficult situations where you're trying to incorporate comic book stories that people are aware of into a movie universe which is drastically different, that have different characters and different situations. It has to be a little bit more believable in many senses. But Infinity War is going to just blow everything out of the water. You know, People are very, very excited about it, and there's no reason why this shouldn't be the biggest movie of next year, of 2018. Um, you, know, you look at all the Marvel films to this point, and they're starting to get weirder and incorporate more fantastical elements. This is going to bring it all to a head. You have this big, dangerous villain, unlike anyone that they've fought before, who will more than likely, like I said, kill a few people off and break everything up and throw it all to hell. How are they going to fight back? And what new characters will be created or will exist to help them get that to get that goal, that achievement of beating someone who literally does seem unbeatable, just from the the outset, you know, having the Infinity Gauntlet, he's going to have to get all of the gems, the stones, to make it the most powerful weapon in the galaxy. Obviously, the story is going to revolve around that. Maybe this first film is going to be just around one particular stone, and maybe that's the Mind Stone. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Isn't that the one that's within Vision right now? I could be wrong. And then the second film could be sort of a, a combination of the aftermath of that first film and then the final fight when Thanos is this close, like literally millimeters away from having the full, powerful Infinity Gauntlet. And they're just a last gasp effort to try and have everyone fighting at the same time. That's the one scene I want the most. Like that scene in the first Avengers when they're all there in the same spot, the camera pans around and they all do their sort of stances and, and they get ready to fight. I want to see a sequence in Infinity War, kind of like what you would see in, in the comic books, where all of these superheroes, all these characters we've seen for the last you know, 10, 15 years of Marvel Cinematic Universes, universe movies, all running in to fight Thanos, or Thanos' minions, his army. You, know, you could have Captain America and Iron Man at the front. It'd be like that the scene in Civil War where the two teams are going at each other, but like hundreds of characters, not just ten. You know, it's going to be a massive thing. But that's what I want to see. I definitely want to see that. I don't know. 
maybe maybe that's something to consider. The coolest thing I think from SDCC that I saw was the reaction by the Black Panther cast. This is another film that it's kind of flown under the radar compared to the, all the news surrounding sort of Spider-Man and, and Thor and Infinity War, but Black Panther looks the goods as well. It's going to be a very different sort of film. It's going to be a bit more down-to-earth, even though it's mystical, even though it's a city that has essentially been in hiding from the rest of the world. It's using technology to hide itself deliberately. And, yeah, like I said, the, apparently the trailer has... I haven't seen any of it, but apparently the trailer has a sort of a, a James Bond vibe to it, which I'm curious to see how that plays out. That could be a great film, but the reaction by the cast was... was Equally just as charming, really. You know, if you saw the footage, the screen goes up, the the lights come back on, and they're just they're they're just all smiles. They're just cheering. They're excited. It's the first time they've seen the footage cut together in that way. Uh, obviously, this trailer is different from the teaser, so there's more to it. Yeah, I'm I am excited for any Marvel film nowadays, but that could be the one that will surprise me the most. You know, it's a character that most people don't really know too much about. So how that will go, who knows? There was a lot more from SDCC. If you haven't checked any of that stuff out by now, definitely go through places like IGN, go through YouTube. You're going to find all the trailers for it. There's a lot of other trailers that dropped, uh, a lot of other footage that dropped. A lot of things that weren't there. There's no Deadpool there, which was surprising for a lot of people. And there was... Uh, a few things that were there, like Stargate that I mentioned, that surprised with a new TV show. So, you know, plenty to get excited about. I think D23 happening a week before it kind of took some of the luster away from SDCC this year. I think that was a deliberate move on Disney's part, having the focus more on, you know, a separate show just for Star Wars and Marvel and Disney. It took away some of the hype from SDCC and it didn't have maybe as big... Uh, as showing as previous years maybe that's just me but that's how I felt anyway last two pieces of news for today let's get into it the biggest one more interesting one uh, suggestion is Grand Theft Auto 6 is real here's why uh, the news dropped again everything drops early in the week because this is a Friday when I record this uh, the news dropped that one of the actors involved in the motion capture uh, had a resume dropped online that listed Grand Theft Auto 6 under the motion capture section, along with Red Dead Redemption 2, and a few other things, bits and pieces. Uh, now, we do know for a fact that Rockstar are thinking about it. We do know that they're still working on Red Dead, obviously, that's coming out next year, but surely they must be thinking about what's going to happen with GTA 6 by now. Whether they've actually started producing it or not is hard to say. But this resume kind of hinted on that. It suggested that, yes, they have been working on it. That maybe they're working on it far more than we originally thought. But the interesting thing is, uh, the actor whose name was Tim Neff um, reported, and this is through IGN, not long after that on his Twitter feed that this was a website he had never used before, that this was not his account. It was not his resume. So he doesn't know where it came from. He doesn't know why it's it's there. Essentially, it's not real. That in itself could be a fake statement. We don't know. Rockstar could be saying, dude, you fucked up. you got to cover yourself with this. Oh, yeah, no, not totally fake. Or it could actually be fake. But, you know, you would consider the fact that Rockstar probably are working in some way or form on GTA 6. You know, GTA 5 has been out for a long, long time now. They don't need to rush it, though, because its sales are still in the top 10 worldwide. Um, Xbox One and PS4, let alone PC on Steam. Largely because so many people are just gradually adding more to it in terms of the smaller part of the studio probably that's just continually adding free content over and over and over and over and over again. You know, every week there's a new event or a new mode that's been added or a new weapon or a new car. And it just it continually adds so much more. The most recent update that they did for it uh, also potentially solved the long-standing conspiracy theory over the UFOs in GTA 6. Apparently now you can find those properly. There's a mission for it within the newest DLC that's 
kind of made it more like a superhero team-up thing. I haven't played GTA 6 much at all over the years. I never finished the single player. I didn't play all that much of the multiplayer. But I'm not suggesting it's a bad game because of that. I just didn't get into it. I play... I don't really play that sort of game all that much, really. But I've watched a lot of Let's Plays. Uh, obviously, Achievement Hunter. I've watched a lot of other silly little videos and things from it. It's a fantastic game in terms of what it's done for Rockstar. You know, it's this big multiplayer experience with all this free content, not paid DLC like all the others. And it proves that that can be a success. That's a successful model if done correctly. And I think a lot of other studios should be learning from that. Uh, Titanfall 2, for example, you know, it's again, it's gone under the radar completely and utterly, and most people don't play it anymore, but that's just added a horde mode as a free DLC. There's no season pass to it whatsoever. There's no season pass for GTA either. So, you know, little things like that. It's nice to have a game or a studio trying something sort of against the grain, and Rockstar clearly have, have their own mentality in terms of how their games work and why DLC shouldn't be a pay-for thing necessarily. Whether that model will go across to uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, though, is another story. Will we have DLC for that in the same vein, or will there be more of a story DLC, or maybe like the zombie mode that they added in the original? You know, that's still up in the air. We, we haven't seen any of that at all this year, really. There's no teasers, no trailers, nothing dropped at E3. It's a very secretive video game right now. Mm. All right. Now, you may have noticed I'm sniffing a bit through this podcast. I do apologize. Um, I've been trying something slightly different this week. I've been trying to get up earlier in the week, or earlier each day, just to give me a little bit more time in the morning, just to relax a little bit. My body is not really reacting to that change very well. Um, I'm quite tired, which is not too surprising, but it sort of left me open for the possibility of catching a cold. And the rain here in Perth has been steadily sort of increasing over the last couple of days. The last week really has just been constant downfall after constant downfall. So, uh, yeah, my body hasn't been great. But, you know, that's life really, isn't it? Touch wood that I don't have any issues beyond this. You know, I don't want to have a major issue because there's a lot coming up in August that will be really entertaining, really exciting, that I can't wait to talk about. Well, some of it. Can't talk about all of it. Can't really tell you why either. You're just gonna have to trust me on that one. Last thing that I wanna talk about this week is, of course, the D, uh, uh, the Destiny 2 Beta. Not the D. We don't talk about the D. The Destiny 2 Beta. Now, as I mentioned last week, it was maybe a little bit underwhelming. But having looked at it a little more closely, having seen the response from other players, having played the strike, having played a little bit of the Crucible, and just the news that's been dropping since the beta completed, it, it felt to me it was very much a disjointed sort of you know, bits and pieces sort of thing. And apparently that's what Bungie deliberately did. They wanted to give you a taster for all these different pieces, but keep a lot of the game under wraps. So the beta didn't feel as cohesive as the first beta from the first game, whereas you had you know, the first one or two bits of story, you had a first patrol area, you had the home base where you could cash in um, whatever things you may find and, and sort of trade them and, and sell them and buy more stuff, and then go patrol, and then go crucible. With this, it was you had the first story bit, which you could play with three main characters, but you had to restart the whole thing with a new character each time you want to play the story bit. Uh, you then had one strike and two different types of crucible, one competitive, one standard, two different modes within each uh, within those two different things. But it was all just through a menu. It wasn't like a map. There was no maps at all. You couldn't really fly anywhere outside of that. Um, but yes, apparently, you know, as much as I, I said last week, you know, it just, it, yeah, it didn't feel a cohesive thing. But yeah, apparently that's deliberate. So there's a lot of stuff that Bungie are trying to keep under wraps deliberately. Now, the thing I said last week, when you go from that story mission to the strike, and all of a sudden your ghost is back, 
you know, what happened between then and the strike for your ghost to return? You know, who's this new AI type character that you're talking to? And there's little bits of news dropping, uh, largely through IGN's some little mini previews of all this new stuff that's that's going to be happening. The, the big thing from Destiny to that they haven't at all shown within that beta is that patrol area. And I can understand why now it wasn't involved in the beta at all. It's so, so expansive compared to the, the what we're used to. Like, if you play Destiny, you know what a patrol area is like. It's a fairly decently sized area, maybe two or three, four areas, largely within each uh, with each planet, which are then broken up into small areas you can go into, which incorporate things like story missions, uh, little bits of the strike, which then go off to other areas entirely that you can't get to in patrol, and just little things like uh, public events and so forth. The new patrol areas greatly expand on this. So you'll now have the same sort of styled concept. You fly to a location on your map on that planet, You'll have public events. You'll drive around uh, to find all these little bits and pieces. But there's now a lot more story-driven uh, events as well. Um, not necessarily cinematics and things like that, but more dialogue-driven, uh, AI-driven, you know, the new AI character and the ghost and so forth. And it's all within the patrol area. So you don't have to jump out and back in to get to it. It's just seamless. And the big thing is these, you know, there's all these hidden areas that you can't get to, which have even more loot to find and bosses and so forth. Um, I don't know about necessarily about strikes, but yeah, there's there's all these different versions of public events now. It's not just one type of public event or, you know, one area for a public event. It's a much more expansive uh, concept. It, it sounds very, very exciting. Absolutely. You know, as a Destiny fan, I'm, I'm very excited to play it and to see how it works. I was a bit worried that we would have three very generic planets to go to that just felt like the same as the last stuff in the first game. But the fact that they're adding so much more content, and it seems like it's one of those things where they can always sort of reiterate or add more and more and more as it goes along outside of just a major DLC you know, update or something like that. So it's it's creative in the sense that it feels more like an MMO, but in the Destiny style. And it's something that I needed because, you know, there's so much of the, the original patrol areas that were just barren wastelands, that were just areas you were hoping would find something and there was nothing there. So now you can sort of fly out and expect to find, every time you go out there, maybe something a little bit different, maybe something a bit more competitive, bit more challenging than what you're used to. One of the cool things that they mention is that when you start a particular story mission or a mission when on a uh, when on a patrol, you can then add or activate a hard version of that same bit you've just started by doing another bit within it. So let's just take for example. Um, this is just I'm just making this up. You find a, an enemy, you kill the enemy within a certain amount of time, and that's that's a whole new thing entirely. Or while you're battling within a particular zone, you have to find a certain trinket or something like that to start up another hard version of the same thing. So again, expansive, not jumping in and out between uh, settings and so forth to have that happen. It's very sort of fluid gameplay. It sounds appealing to me. It sounds really entertaining to me. So. You know, whether that works out the way we expect. I think it's going to be better than Destiny 1 when it launched. It will still have its issues. Because every game like this will. It's just the nature of it. But I am keen to see how the story goes. The story mission in, in the beta ends on such a massive cliffhanger. I can't wait to see how that evolves. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing the farm in person when it's got full NPCs. Uh, playing football. <laughs> Uh, on the farm would be interesting. But then seeing the maps, oh yeah, and the other thing about the maps, which is great, as you go further and further in, you can unlock other areas to fly to from the map. So other location points and so forth you can be able to unlock, which means that unlike the old day where you want to go on patrol and you just land at the very same position every single time, now you can begin on different points of the map straight away 
once you've got those places unlocked. So it just makes the traversal of it all a lot much easier than it used to be. There's so much that could go right with this. And then of course, there's so much that could go wrong. But I am definitely, I'm, I'm still excited. I'm absolutely still excited for it. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, how Bungie have learned from their mistakes from the first game, whether their DLC will be appropriately, you know, timed compared to the first one, and whether they'll have enough content with each one, whether they'll add, uh, you know, various different improvements to you know, weapons and so forth that won't be too misleading or it won't be too difficult to upgrade. You won't lose too much because of it. Obviously, there'll still be, like I said, there'll still be problems. There'll still be issues, at least to begin with. You know, that's to be expected. If you go into any game like this expecting a perfect experience straight up, you're never going to get that. But yeah, Destiny 2. Now looking back on the beta, I, I get it why it was like that. I would have liked to seen a little bit more maybe, but I'm still excited and again, not that far away. Not at all when you think about it. I mean, we're nearly at the end. We're nearly at the end of July going into August. Destiny 2 comes out in September. So, was it September? Pretty sure it is. But yeah, either way. No, it's not that many months left in the year and there's still so many games to come out. You know, so much more content. You know, Super Mario Odyssey is going to be a big one. Uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, uh, Wolfenstein, obviously Destiny 2, so much, so much content. A lot of those games are coming out around the same time, so it's going to be really hard to find the time to play them all. I don't know. What are you guys looking forward to in terms of Destiny? Are you excited to play more of it? Are you done with it? Do you just want to have Bungie do something new? Do you want Bungie to just take back the Halo license? You know, just throw it out there. Let me know. I'm curious to see what you guys think. But we're nearing the end of this week's episode. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for hanging out for the next hour, or for the last hour. Uh, in the coming weeks, as I've been hinting on quite a lot, I will be trying a few different things if time allows. So keep an eye out for that. But in terms of the podcast, next week, I'm going to be focusing a little bit more on a game that I'm very looking forward to, and that's Tacoma. If you haven't heard of Tacoma, it's from the same studio that developed Gone Home. It's a game that's a set in, or that is set in a space station uh, with a lot of sort of story-driven puzzles. It looks fantastic. I will be on that absolutely from day one. So definitely look forward to talking about that one. If you're curious to know more about that as well, I implore you to come and listen to my show next week. I'd love to have you here. Uh, but a couple of shout-outs to finish this episode, a shout out to the guys at Plantronics for the shout out their own that they gave to me on Twitter earlier this week. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much for the love. Uh, shout out to our Australian esports Overwatch League team who took home a big win over Japan. Those last tense moments in that Overwatch game were incredible. If you haven't seen it, I, I definitely go and check out the replays on YouTube. It was an awesome experience. I think I'm sold on esports for the first time in my life, really. That was the first proper esports experience I've seen from start to finish. And, you know, a lot of people are saying that the reason why I was so successful was because of the Australian crowd. And I have to agree. It was a great crowd to get involved in. They were really into each match, no matter which team was playing. They got behind them all. They cheered for every cool moment, every big team moment. Every time a team captured a point, you could hear cheers and, and clapping and stuff. It was great experience for everyone involved, and hopefully there'll be more of that in the not-too-distant future, uh, especially in Australia. I hope that, that we got, start to see more of an impact in these, this eSports league, uh, not just Overwatch, but you know other games as well. And hey, maybe Splatoon 2. You never know, right? Uh, and, uh, you know... If, if Overwatch does become as big as I hope it will be, because it's, an, it's a game that I really like to follow and really like to watch people play, that's the kind of thing I want to see more of. You know, there's big events, you know, consistently showing off cool moments and, and great people from around the world, not just particular regions. And hopefully the Overwatch League will, will deliver on that. But yes, congratulations to Australia. They'll be going to BlizzCon next year, along with, I believe, Sweden. 
Um, uh, commiserations to Japan because they were a great team and I really hope that we get to see more of those guys in the future as well uh, they, they really put on a good show as well I, I really love the fact that they had uh, a Zarya and Reaper combination in one of their preliminary rounds that was fantastic to watch uh, last shout out though uh, shout out to the guys at Rooster Teeth and Hanabi for allowing me to buy RTX VIP tickets for 2018 yes I'm going back to RTX next year I'm really excited to do that again. Uh, hopefully I'll get another couple of interviews. Maybe? I don't know. I, 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 would, I would like to do that again, if you don't mind. I think I've learned a bit since the last time. You know, I've learned to be a little bit more, uh, I don't know, responsive, a little bit more creative with my voice, maybe a little bit stronger, maybe a little bit more, little bit more confidence. Obviously I still have work to do on that. Uh, you know, I'd like to properly edit uh, this audio file for example to make it less sound like I'm talking like a snake just putting that out there but this has all been part of a learning experience and I'm glad that you guys are here to follow that journey I really do appreciate it there's a lot more to come a lot more great stuff to happen over this year and I'm really looking forward to talking about it all by myself because that's what I do so thank you for listening I will see you again next week for our Tacoma special Ah, Tacoma. I'm really looking forward to playing that. There'll be other things as well to talk about, no doubt. If you have anything I, you want to hear me talk about, by all means, let me know as well. You can find me on Twitter at PlayNicePlayNow, as well as on Facebook, among other things. But in the meantime, I will see you guys next week. Play nice, play now. I'll see you guys soon. See ya.